You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you in further. You step forward little by little not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, and as always, I strive to bring the best in apologetics and scholarship. And all this month, we've been talking about autism and Asperger's, and I've kept up my pledge to bring you the very best in the field to come and talk about it. But I was in a bind. I decided to have my, Paul, my friend Paul Carpenter come on and talk about autism and apologetics, too. So, <laughs> yeah. You're going to enjoy getting to meet Paul. He and I have been friends for several years here. Now, who is he? Paul Compton is a pastor and apologist at Riverside Christian Church in Merrimack, New Hampshire. He received his B.A. in Bible from Johnson University, formerly Johnson Bible College, and his Master of Arts and Religion from Southern Evangelical Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. He is an active member of the Evangelical Philosophical Society, in the International Society of Christian Apologetics. Paul is also a founding and active board member of I Hope International Ministries. In 2012, he was elected to a town ethics committee where he served as chairman. Paul is blessed with a lovely wife, Elizabeth, and two children, Timothy and Andrew, who encourage and support his service in ministry. So, Paul, my friend, it, it's really good to have you on the show. Welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. Thank you, Nick. I'm excited to be here. And I was told to tell you on the air that you have a fan at Johnson Bible College. I do. Yes. He, Doc Reese wants to thank you very much for sending him a copy of Stealing from God by Frank Turek. Oh, yes. Yes, an excellent book, too, if I can give the plug. Sure. I went there this week while I was away to do some research, and I saw him some in. He talked so much about that book. Excellent. Now, well, I've given an academic intro of you. How about telling us a bit more about how you got to be where you are? Because from my understanding, you weren't growing up your typical Christian, were you? No. uh, Well, growing up, I was... um, I got into trouble early on mm-hmm. in life and uh, uh, tell people I followed the dead before I followed the Lord mm-hmm. hence the uh, grateful dead tattoo on my middle finger mm-hmm. but uh, about halfway into my uh, senior year of high school I became a Christian and I uh, got excited wanted to tell everybody about the message and figured I should learn something about it so I went to uh, Johnson University and and learned about Bible and preaching from there, and uh, of course went on after that to pursue apologetics. Mm-hmm. But it, it was during my years at Johnson that that we had the opportunity to meet. Yeah, I, what happened is I believe you were in Western Civ, and someone was making a statement about Moses, and here this nerdy kid raises his hand in class and makes a statement about, well, here's what Ravi Zacharias has said about the topic, right? Yeah, I mean, I was... I was uh, intrigued by the fact that you introduced Ravi Zacharias into the Western Civilization class. Um, 
And I think you were like reciting the book to us as well. <laughs> so I was like, well, this guy seems kind of interesting. So uh, after the class, I, I walked up and said, hey, do you like apologetics? And you looked at me with this like, you know, you're trying to say yes, but refrain yourself a little bit. Um, which, while you you probably know, which you probably know now as Norma. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and there was the upcoming National Apologetics Conference in Charlotte. And I had some brochures with me, as I recall, and gave you one of those and asked you if you wanted to go. And you said, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of how we, we met and, and we had that shared interest. And I think at least... Scott from the bookstore remembers you because you left with a trunk full of books, and I think you had them all read by the next week. So <laughs> I, I, I got four hundred bucks worth of books that first conference. Yeah, and that's a lot of money for a Bible Bible college student. Yeah, and that's uh, why I went. Then Allie and I were dating, and we went to the Projects conference one year, and I only bought two books. My friends at the time said, "Okay, who are you, and what's happened to the real Nick here?" Because they knew that I normally spend. I was like, guys, I have to start saving the money here. It's more important things here. Absolutely. So you and I maintained a good friendship, and you knew about my autism Asperger's very early on, I think. Yes. And when my roommate David and I, where he was living in Missouri at the time I was living in Tennessee, but we agreed to go to Severn together. And when we moved there, you were one of the people who helped us move in. Oh, yes, I recall that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think if I recall correctly, you were wearing a T-shirt that had the G.K. Chesterton quote that said, uh, Tolerance is a virtue of a man without convictions. Oh, yes, yes, that shirt's got me in trouble before, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> in fact, I think it got you in trouble that night. Yeah, maybe that was it when I, I went to Sam's Club and you know, the lady stopped me to let me know, hey, I, I just want you to know I disagree with your shirt. And I looked at her and I was like, well, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm so sorry. I was hoping you could be a little more open-minded, a little more tolerant, if you will. <laughs> and her jaw just dropped and she didn't know quite what to say next. Yep. And, you know, that, that's, uh, of course, that's a lot of what we deal with in, mm, yep. in apologetics. Uh, but yeah, the, it was certainly a good experience to uh, to be able to have the Bible education at, mm-hmm. at Johnson and uh, then at Southern to get the apologetics training. And mm-hmm. uh, of course, we both went on to different conferences and studies and continued yeah. our education. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a battle for the minds. Mm-hmm. And you were also there when Allie and I did get married. Yes, the shortest trip that I've ever taken. I flew mm-hmm. into Charlotte. I think I got there about noon, and then the flight left around six. I think mm-hmm. so. I just flew in, mm-hmm. made sure that uh, there weren't anyone. There, there weren't many objectors. Uh, there actually weren't any objectors, so that was good. Yeah, I didn't have to kill anyone. That's right. You pulled it off, and then uh, once I saw you seal the deal, I got out of there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I'm very excited for you. And yeah. I, I, Keep going. <laughs> no, I just I, I think it's great that that you found someone uh, like-minded, willing to put up with you. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the real thing. <laughs> that is the real thing. But but you all complement each other well. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I compliment her all the time. Tell her how good she, how beautiful she is, how special she is. Oh, you mean a different compliment, don't you? That's that's what looking <laughs> you play with words here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and for those who might not have read the blog post, this Paul and I both love puns. So this is going to be a very punny episode. Yes, well, I, in fact, I, I've had fun with with Timothy. Of course, I'll be telling uh, telling you all a little more about Timothy, my mm-hmm. uh, son, who's six years old and he's autistic. Mm-hmm. And so I've been, you know, I, I throw out these phrases sometimes. The other day I was telling him, I wanted to tell him that I'll be just a, a couple of minutes. So I, I said, hold your horses. And he just looked at me. And so that phrase, of course, now he thinks it's funny. He realizes, but, but he had to sit there and ponder it. He was thinking about horses and holding up. Why would I hold on to horses? Mm-hmm. So I explained it. So now every time that I I need to... He needed me to wait for something. He was doing something, and he said, Dad, I'm going to need you to hold on to your horses. <laughs> then he said, I'm just kidding, Daddy. Now, this is an interesting way that our paths crossed here, and it, it kind of shows me God can have a sense of humor here, that mm-hmm. there at Bible College, with a random encounter of sorts, you meet a friend who uh, happens to be on the autism spectrum, then years later, I get contacted by you, you saying, hey, we just found out our son Timothy is on the autism spectrum. It, it, it just strikes me as such an amazing event there that these two happen to coincide. And you were asking for advice. And, mm-hmm. and in all honesty, I'm not saying this to brag, but you did say my advice was the best that you've gotten, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting because when when we found out, of course, it was difficult news to hear this from the doctor, you know, and we went through all these different kinds of testing and then they, you know, sit you down like this is some major event and, you know, like they're telling you that someone's dying or whatever. They sit you down and they talk real gentle and talk about all the support they're going to give you and then folks were rallying around us almost like this was cancer you yeah. know and, and 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 albeit they they meant very well um and sometimes folks just don't know what to say in these scenarios but uh so I gave you a call and and your response was much different but but it it got me excited because you were so excited uh you were I, I could tell just through the phone and and you said this is I'm so happy for you and Elizabeth you're going to get to see the world in a whole new way and and that's very true mm-hmm. we've, we've discovered that that um, you know it's not the end of the world and it's not it's simply a, a different way of looking at the world uh-huh I mean to use an example when you were talking to me you said hold your horses I mean for you and most any ever neurotypical child that would have made perfect sense but that got you thinking I'm sure Hey, I gotta watch my use of language here because this seems commonsensical to me, but it it's not that way for him. Absolutely. And even little things like, Hey Timothy, can you pick up your toys? No. That's the end of it. I just asked him a question. So like I've had to train myself that I have to directly tell him. Because if I ask him to do something with the understood normally it would be an understood yes. But hey, I'm asking him a question, and if he says no, where do I go from there? 
Mm-hmm. So it, it's the little things. I didn't for a while. I, I was saying, hey, why why aren't you? This this child isn't being obedient. And, and then someone uh, pointed out to me. I'll have to say someone had to point this out to me. Well, you know, Paul, you you didn't tell him to do it, but you asked him. And when I tell him to do it, he, he responds much better. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Now you talk about bringing Timothy. In for question, I think it's worth pointing out that you chose the name Timothy for your first child because that was that's the companion of Paul right there. Yes, yes, Paul's uh, little companion, and and the great thing is that his name means worshiper of God, uh-huh. and one of, one of the unique talents that he has. I mean, when the kid was, well, I think about three three years old, we began to see he has amazing rhythm and he plays drums. He can. He's accurate to a. Um, well, I mean, it was a few years ago when they said, well, to a sixteenth note, he was accurate on the drums. Mm-hmm. And with the piano, he just kind of picked that up, and he can listen to music and walk over and play it. Now, neither Elizabeth nor myself play the piano, other than I can do "Twinkle Twinkle Little Stars," mm-hmm. uh, and. He can do more than that. I'll put it that way. So I I was going to ask then, and you gave us some information that along those lines. Most parents don't just say, "Hey, let's take our child in for testing." There was something that leads up to that. So, when did you first start noticing that? Hey, there is something different about our kid, and we don't understand it. Good question. Um, yeah, we noticed that. Well, just when when talking with the doctors, and they were looking at. You know, he he was a little later with some of the like walking. He was he was just a little bit later than usual, but his speech, he was really having difficulty communicating, and, and so there were some delays there. But there were a lot of sensory issues, and it's kind of fun. There were a couple of times when we had church luncheons, and it was scenarios like this where he would silence the whole room. The kid would sit there and. He'd be sitting there eating, and then he would hold up both fists, and then at the top of his lungs, he would just scream. His face would turn blood red. And he was happy as a clam at the time, but he was just screaming. And that, and along with his, at night, he would uh, headbang in his crib. He sat there, in fact, we're in condos, and two units down, they were trying to figure out what the noise was in the middle of the night. Are you sure well, that wasn't some of your grateful dead past rubbing off on him? I know, that must have been it. <laughs> <laughs> but Although they're a little more soothing. But he was in a very, uh, it was very um, all musically inclined, the way he was rocking. He kept a nice beat, but he was hitting so hard, it knocked the rails off the the crib he knocked holes through the wall just banging into it with his head Mm -hmm. so there was a sensory issue there in fact I ended up having to put some video of it to show the doctor because they said well head banging that's kind of normal and it won't cause any harm so I videotaped what happened I put a little night vision camera in there brought it in and the doctor said well that they say that it's not supposed to cause any harm but it's it's difficult when I look at the video to say that there's no harm being done because it was so severe. So it, all of that kind of thing started to come together, and we realized, okay, there, we should have some kind of testing done. Mm-hmm. And 
that we found out. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, we found out early enough. I mean, we knew that there was some delay in the preschool. They have a program here where they have early support. Uh, they came out and uh, just worked with him a little bit. And that's when, uh, actually, that's what prompted the official testing. But we were very fortunate to get a number of different services for him early on that, that really helped him to learn how to communicate. Mm-hmm. And that has helped him significantly because he's he's quite intelligent. But early on, you saw all these delays, and I think that's one of the difficulties that that folks deal with when you have someone who's very intelligent, but the problem is they're kind of overwhelmed with information. There's a there's this basket full of thoughts going on at any given time, and so how do you slow that down to be able to get the to convey the information to people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's <clears throat> something that I, I can relate to as well. Mm-hmm. And it's important to state what my guest last week, Stephen Bedard, said and others have said about the autism spectrum, that when you meet one person on it, it's quite false to assume everyone else is going to have the same story on there. Because there's different levels, there's different degrees going on on the spectrum. There are some things in your story that I could relate to with Timothy. There are some things I couldn't relate to. I'm, I'm sure there are some things my wife on the spectrum could relate to, and there are some things she couldn't relate to. And that's that's the way it is. So, I mean, we have to be clear of that. Not every case is going to be the same. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll say one of the things about, as an apologist, just to make a little bit of a transition, but... One of the things that, that we do in apologetics is, is we kind of work as, as translators. And we try to uh, we, we identify different worldviews that people have, and we try to get the gospel message to, you know, to them in a way that they'll understand it. We start where they're at. And so I kind of take that attitude, and I, I, I apply it mm-hmm. here with, with autism. Like it's a unique challenge, but... To be able to work as a translator to figure out, well, how can I communicate? This is my job as a parent, is, is how can I communicate uh, the world, but in particular the gospel message, you know, to get that message in a way that he will understand it. Mm-hmm. And that's the attitude that I think we we need to take, and especially with others in the church. And mm-hmm. indeed, I've, I've met a number of folks on the spectrum at, at different levels, but my my goal in each of those cases is... You know, how can I reach them? It, it, it's a, it may be a little bit of a challenge, but I found a number of gifts in folks on all different ends of the spectrum. And in each case, these folks are very well gifted mm-hmm. in certain areas, whether it's serving or uh, in some cases memorization. They're, they're just very unique gifts that are there, and they tend to be extremely gifted in certain areas and I want to be able to to tap into that. Yeah, for instance, talking about how you approach people differently <clears throat> to go back to the story that we told at the start of how you met me mm-hmm. I mean, generally if you just come up and start talking to me randomly about anything that's non-apologetics related or something like that I probably would have been willing to turn and run from you immediately at that point <laughs> Because that that kind of thing, we're on defense a lot of times at that point, and we're going, okay, what's this guy wanting? 
What's he doing? What's his agenda? What's his deal? And But then when you came up and you start talking and you managed to jump into something that had my interest immediately, that started building up that rapport right there. I don't see generally when I speak with people, they do try to run from me. Uh, mm. But in your case, you stayed around, so that was pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty shocking, too. Yeah. <laughs> we we got along from the beginning. Yeah, but that, that is a case of how the, how these things have to be done. So I remember I've worked with people before at uh, businesses, and I've met fellows, people that are highly, highly extroverted. They want to run up to you. They want to give you a hug. They shout your name. They see you. They're so happy to see you, and you want to... Uh, go in every day and help please please let them not see me today let them not see me mm-hmm. now also I agree with you when you were talking about how I must uh, watch what we're saying make sure that people get it because uh, in, in my measure I've said before that I'm the head and Allie's the heart mm-hmm. she, she doesn't have the intellectual bent that I do, but her heart, it, it, it's all right there. And so if I give a talk somewhere, I'm usually thinking, Allie is in the audience right here. I want her to be able to understand this message too. So I'll try to put things in the best terms that I can. And then when I'm done, she's the first one I go to. like, okay, how did I do? Did I talk over people's heads? Did I talk too much? Did I talk too fast? things of that sort because I know I'm going to get the accurate feedback there. Well, that's good. That's good you have uh, someone to help balance you. Mm-hmm. And as I remember, one of the things you told me early on was the uh, importance of honesty and truthfulness. Now, we know that in general, mm-hmm. uh, but we tend to uh, dress it up a little, especially yeah. those of us who are Southern. Mm-hmm. and. And you're more just of a, a matter-of-fact kind of guy. Yep. And I've learned that to be very important with... So so anytime that I tell Timothy something, mm-hmm. uh, anytime that I tell others something that are on the spectrum, I realize how important it is for, for me to be true to my word. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, we, we mean well. And it's got me to even think sometimes, you, you know, you want to respond politely and... Uh, yeah, uh, I'll meet you there, or I should be there, whatever, when when we realize, no, I'm probably not going to be able to make it. And and we just need to be very matter-of-fact with folks. Mm -hmm. On the spectrum, I find for most people, trust is a very, very big issue. And if trust is lost somewhere, trust can easily be lost nearly everywhere else at that point. but someone on the spectrum gives you trust and they don't think that you've lived up to it. it, it's very hard for them afterwards to trust most anyone else. Yeah, that that is one of the big things that I uh, I wrote I wrote notes when we when we spoke just to make sure that that along this journey that that trust factor is is maintained between mm. us. Because I, I don't want that to be to be lost. We should always have that, but I realize I need to just mm-hmm. go into go into a little more depth for him. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is a whole different way of thinking 
about matters. And you're right, a lot of people on the spectrum also are very, very intelligent. So sometimes the getting out of that information can be a problem. And sometimes even the very processing of all that information can be a problem. Especially if you don't really understand a lot of social cues that are going on. Yes. Yes, I remember what I think you used the term social niceties before. We're, mm-hmm. we're kind of used to just a lot of the uh, hello, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, most of the time when we're when we ask how you're doing, we really don't. Care. We're not really asking the question. It's just another way of saying hi. Yeah. In fact, I caught myself a while back once. I was walking by and I just said, "Hey, how you doing?" As I was walking by, and so it wasn't until about seven or eight steps later that I realized that the person just told me that they were having a horrible day. Mm. So I had to turn back around and say, wait a minute, I, you know, I just asked you this question and realized you, you told me you were having a horrible day and I kept walking. I, I apologize. But it, but it kind of, I think, goes to show just how we get used to a lot of these social cues and social mm-hmm. niceties and, and the lack meaning in many mm-hmm. cases. And it's very difficult to train. Yeah, I remember being at a workplace for and putting some stuff in my locker and people would back, go by and say, Hey Nick, how are you doing? And they keep walk, walking on and every time they did that I think to myself, if you don't care enough to stop and listen, don't even ask the question. Just say hi. Because when you do that, it tells me you're not really being sincere. Right. Right. So that... It, it certainly opened my eyes, um, you know, when when you talked about that, it's helped me to be very careful with what I say and realize that in instances like that illustration I gave a moment ago, uh, sometimes I do toss stuff out there. I think in many cases, the, the folks on the spectrum are, are are probably doing much better, certainly with authenticity, just being very genuine in what they say and do. And I realized how much we dress things up and and try to present everything so it looks good to others, rather than just being honest to ourselves. Yeah, I mean, some people are listening. I think, geez, Nick, you're kind of making a big deal of people just saying, "How are you?" But you know, if you're here on the spectrum, you 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 don't really understand all these social cues going on, and you're wondering who can I trust, who can I trust, and if you find someone you can trust, you kind of latch onto that quite a bit. And so when you're seeing this and you're seeing people walk by and they don't even care, they just say things without having any real concern, and it does build up in you this idea of, boy, people are jerks, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it certainly can come across that way. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm wanting to go back to something you said. You talk about Timothy making a loud shout during a church event, right? Yes. Yeah. What happened when that happened? Oh, well, the room went silent, and mm-hmm. folks were trying to figure out, well, what was that? I mean, at the time, he was a very little guy, and and he had a very loud, he could make very loud noises. So uh, we found that along the way that, I mean, just at the young age, he was giving those shouts, and of course the meltdowns that he encountered in, in the years following. You know, we, we hear about meltdowns, and those are times when, you know, when he's just really, he has a sensory overload, and and he does, he'll 
just scream. Fortunately, we've been able to overcome that for the most part. But but there was a time when, I mean, I think he hears, it's as though he hears all the sounds all at once, and he's trying to, um, maybe a way to, at least the way I understand it would be kind of like he's walking around with a megaphone up to his ear. Mm-hmm. And so when you start getting a lot of sounds, it's this huge overload. And he would put his hands over his ears and, and shout very loud. And, of course, that draws a lot of attention. <laughs> now, how how did people respond afterwards? Was there condemnation or understanding or what? Well, after the diagnosis, there was some understanding. Mm-hmm. But I tell you, one of the greatest lessons that a parent will learn is a lesson in humility (laughs) because you will get a lot of looks. And I used to worry about that. I'm like, oh, no, everybody's got their eyes on me, and especially I'm I'm a a pastor. And, oh, what are folks thinking? Uh, Mm -hmm. Are they thinking that I'm not a a good father? Uh, Because every dad kind of... You know, we want to be a man. You yeah. issue orders, you issue directives, and you get a sir, yes, sir, and then they fall in line. That's mm-hmm. not the case with autism. I, um, I figured you, you would have known it's not the case just after getting married. <laughs> Amen <laughs> to that. Yep. But uh, but at least with that, once I once I give the instructions, which means I just repeat what I heard from her, uh, <laughs> <laughs> then we get along uh, just fine. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I can say something, and then she'll tell me what I was supposed to have said. Then I'll say that with authority, mm-hmm. and she'll realize I'm in charge mm-hmm. of knowing who is. <laughs> but, but, but with, with Timothy, it, the I think the instructions have to be. It, it's different. I have to be very clear, very concise, very gentle, and. Sometimes I have to repeat things to make sure that he's... Because sometimes, especially when he starts getting very upset, that's a lot of times due to overstimulation. Mm-hmm. So when I first give him some kind of instruction, I have to realize he, he's not... He may very well may not be hearing me. So I have to calm down, get him to, to focus in on me, and then give this instruction. And while all this is going on, especially if he's very upset and uh, there were times before when he would kind of throw himself back on the floor and I would have to try to reach around and get his head so he didn't hit his head on the on the floor or against the wall and he would be screaming and his hands would be moving real fast and and it was just overstimulation he wasn't trying to hurt anyone or anything and I had to calm him down and I learned to just ignore whatever and not worry about what other people were thinking because my responsibility at at that point is how can I help my son to to get him to calm down and realize everything's okay. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a lesson in, in patience and in humility in the process of, of being a parent of an autistic child. Yeah, and speaking as one several years ahead on spectrum. I can say in some cases, those sensory overload times, they don't go away. Now, I never had a problem with hearing overloads 
and such. Although Harry does. If it, if we were in a room and people started popping balloons, she'd have to leave immediately. Mm-hmm. And but I I can have other overloads. Two times I'm thinking about right now is we did go to the place. I think it was last month, and I had to climb up some stairs. And unfortunately, these were stairs outside in an apartment complex that when you walked up, they had the, the cracks in between the stairs, so you could look down and see what was below you, mm-hmm. as it were. And I hate stairs like that. I absolutely hate them because I do not want to see what is below me. I do not care for heights. And I do not care for staircases. And we got to the second story and the place she was going was on the third story. And I said, I can't make it, I can't make it, I can't make it. And for me, it was like the floor was going to cave in underneath me and I was going to come crashing down entirely. And she was getting pretty embarrassed and she said, well, I'm just going to go on up there. And she went and just yelling, hey, this is the right spot so you can come back because it was a women's event mm-hmm. and where I go to that car and we parked at the wrong spot so I thought I can go and park closer and then came back and thought you know by golly this is embarrassing really sure. and Ari doesn't deserve a coward and she went up those steps I can do the exact same thing and just weird myself and managed to get all the way up there. Of course, I was very happy when it was time to leave and we were able to go back down and I didn't have to go up them again, but it it, it was still an overload. And <laughs> the other kind of time I can think of is that ever since I was young, I have had a fear of water. And... Uh, I, I think it usually ha- it has something to do with when I when my parents took me to the beach and I got introduced to the undertow very quickly. Mm-hmm. I I can't even go underwater at all. And I and I did work at a gym together, and she really liked using the pool. It was a great place for her to get exercise, and she enjoyed it. Now I can go and I can sit in a pool, and I'm pretty fine with that as long as I'm near the edge. But give me more than that, and I start getting terrified. And she wanted to work with me and get me to walk across the pool with her, even near the edge. And she promised me and me we'd never go over my head or anything. And yeah, she did keep that promise too. But I remember the very first night we were doing it, before we got all the way to the other end, I had asked her, I think, three times if she'd taken out a life insurance policy on me lately. (laughs) Seriously, I, I am that absolutely terrified of a situation and it, it, it strikes so many people I'm sure it's bizarre like, you know, we see what you do in apologetics and you're so cool and rational there it's like a watching Dr. Spock or Sheldon Cooper or something like that and that that's going on underneath and yeah yeah no one is really purely rational just like no one's purely emotional and we've got our own crazy spots there yeah, and that's probably one of the the odd things too, is because you are very rational, and so you, you realize that it, it's irrational to be afraid. But but the feeling you can't get rid of. But that's that's yeah. one of the there are these uh, feelings with the overstimulation. Like you you realize that everything's okay, but mm-hmm. but your body doesn't. <laughs> yeah. And, and so there are certain neurological things and, and physical aspects of uh, of the spectrum, and and that's one of the things I've 
tried to become acquainted with. Early on, I wasn't quite as convinced. I thought it was kind of like ADD or something, mm-hmm. you know, just somewhere in, in that category, which I'm diagnosed with ADHD myself. Um, they've tried to diagnose me with what OCD too. The doctor told me that I was, he thought I was OCD, and I, I stopped him and I said, no, I, I can't be OCD. I never have. I can't be now. I can't change the pattern of things. And I thought he was going to commit me. Uh, but in any case, so I look at those things, and those are more just kind of behavioral or some educational aspects there. But the, mm-hmm. there, there's certainly a neurological component to to autism. And I, I don't know. I, I'm still trying to grasp what all is, is going on. But I know that there there are certain times when he's overstimulated, uh, when my son's overstimulated, and sometimes when he's understimulated, and that's when he gets, uh, when he will get louder and he will want to, you know, move his, flap his arms around a lot. Yeah, I think the understimulation is also something interesting because as I've said on the show, that usually when people are talking to me a lot of times, I can't just talk people I mean even as I'm sitting here with you I'm getting various objects off my desk and just kind of playing with them in my hands and such and my in-laws had this problem with me at first so I would say they were, they'd be talking to me and I'd have my Kindle or my phone or a game system on and I'd be talking with them and I'd be doing that at the same time and I think our first inclination was like well this is a uh, pretty rude now I was never anything they were going to write me off for or anything because they already adored me, and even before I married I, they think, oh, this is one of the best things that's ever happened to her. Mm-hmm. But, but they they saw this going on, but this is rather rude. Then, but then they realized something odd, that while I was doing that, I was still fully cognizant of everything they were talking about, and able to give my own input back at the exact same time. And I, I think the thing is, uh, I tell you that it's hard for the mind to just have one thing going on at a time. Even if it's something as simple as me picking up something on my desk and just playing with my hands and such. It's that our, our minds just, uh, at least from my perspective, there's just so much going on that you need more than one thing to keep it going or else you're, it's going to be pretty restless for you, you know? Sure, mm-hmm. sure, and I, I think I've, I've observed that a lot with folks, not necessarily with uh, picking up objects or anything, but but when I speak with folks that are on the spectrum, there there tends to be just a lot of where the body's moving, swaying, hands are are moving, and, mm-hmm. uh, and and of course a lot of times there isn't eye contact, and it seems like well this person isn't paying any attention to me, but. In fact, a lot of times you can get a word-for-word word recitation of what you just said. Yeah, the the eye contact thing is a big one. Was, uh, I remember someone posted something on a forum I met recently condemning people who don't make eye contact when they speak to you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's... And a lot of us are going to have problems because we don't do the eye contact thing. And, in fact, there are even cultures out there where... If you did do the eye contact, it would be seen as a direct challenge. You would would be seen as starting a fight if you did eye contact. Right. Well, and I think in some cases too, like if uh, 
if you have folks that are always giving you eye contact and they break the eye contact, it, okay, that may be a sign. Mm -hmm. I've, I've, I've met some individuals who make no eye, eye contact at all unless they say something kind of off the charts and then they look you right in the eye when they do it. And in those cases, it's almost like a giveaway that there's something odd about what they're saying. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the body language thing, we're, we're all different mm -hmm. in that respect. Yeah. And one other aspect I'm thinking about with eye contact, and this is something that it, it's probably not just me as an athlete, but some of you who are married men, especially, is I definitely try to avoid eye contact with any other woman but my wife. I mean, even if another female smiles at me, I'm going to be looking away as quickly as I can. And I've heard, I said this on a forum recently, and Someone said, well, you know, that, that seems kind of rude, doesn't it? I mean, what's what's the big deal of just a simple smile? I smile back, and it's like, yeah. And you're not a guy, either. <laughs> if, if you're a guy, that kind of thing can stay locked in your memory very, very easily. And if I'm going to be rude to someone, if I'm going to offend someone, it's not going to be Allie. It's going to be someone else. Yeah, yeah. Now, when... You're uh, out there with Timothy. Mm -hmm. I mean, do do people ever say anything to you, kind of saying saying like, "Why is your son doing this?" or something like that? I I, I see it more in facial expressions because mm -hmm. we are, you know, we we dress everything up, right? Right. Uh, that, that's how most folks will do things, and. And so I don't get anything real direct. Folks will just kind of give an odd look. Or, you know, you may hear them talk with someone else or wonder why. And um, but I don't have many people directly directly ask. And in some cases, I I'll try to give some kind of explanation as to what's. I lay out what's happening. Uh, just more kind of well, I'll prepare Timothy by talking about what we're going to do and then maybe explain that all right we're, we need to have some quiet time over here or, or take a break after a little while because things get a little bit too loud and I don't know if we'll pick up the hint from that or not but but not so much again it's more the the stairs and yeah and, and of course folks do enjoy a lot I mean we, we talk about some of the it's, it's interesting. There are the negative parts, mm -hmm. right, which have to do with, and maybe I should just raise the the question here about, well, is autism a, a good thing or a bad thing? Right. Uh, is this a, a disease? Uh, I've heard some people talk about curing autism, uh -huh. uh, you know, finding the cure for this, like, like it's a disease. Um, and, and I don't think of it, I mean, if I could eliminate the, the neurological and physical aspects, those those physical kinds of pains, then uh, then I, I certainly would, because I, I realize that that's difficult. At the same time, really, part of his personality are these amazing gifts that he has, mm -hmm. and he's you know he's different, right? But there are, I mean, he can become the life of the party. It's some, I mean, when people are opening presents at, at Christmas or at a birthday party, he will just stand back and he'll throw out all these adjectives. And he's, I mean, he's just 
filled with excitement, like, wow, that is so beautiful. This is, I mean, and, and he has so much passion and, and excitement. And then with the music, he will play songs and people just stand. I mean, he had a crowd once at the, I brought him to the gym. Uh, they have a little kids play area and it's got glass all around it. And he was there with his little brother and uh, he had this audience because he was just playing drums on the table and mm-hmm. just going to town and folks were just amazed at that. And that, that kind of thing happens a lot. So there, there are a lot of times where folks don't know what to say because they see here's this amazingly gifted child. And even when he talks now, he's he's picked up on math. He's in, just incredible. You can throw him all kinds of numbers and he can solve these complicated math problems. I mean, I knew a couple of years ago when, you know, preschool, they were teaching him, trying to get him to count one to a hundred, and he was doing it backwards without mm-hmm. any problem, like very quickly. And then now he's learning, I mean, the addition, subtraction is easy. He's learning his multiplication, and I mean, he's six. He's in first grade. And he's wanting to figure out the distance from from the earth to wherever and the size of things and he gets excited at the biggest and the smallest of mm-hmm. animals and he can just recite all these facts and figures to you and calculate these math problems and it really captivates folks when they see that so that's the kind of so so when we're out in public you get both extremes you know sometimes i sometimes i can stand back and just say like yeah that's my boy check this out you know and he he shows off all these talents and of course other times you, you get the behavioral part where he's just overwhelmed with something or it's just very difficult to get an instruction across and then he looks uh, he can become kind of defiant mm. now I, I really do appreciate what you said about asking is this a good thing or a bad thing mm-hmm. because and me, I see it, at least for myself, as a good thing. Now, could I do without the negatives? Of course, we all could. But the positives far outweigh things. Now, someone like Ali, on the other hand, she gets a lot of negatives in her eyes. And so, she'd probably be first in line if a cure came along. For me, I'd be saying, you keep that wicked thing away from me. I do not want this at all. I mean, I, I've even asked if when, when the time comes, when all things come to their conclusion and such, and I'm sitting there around the throne of God, where I still be an Aspie on that? That's a question that really comes to my mind. Because mm-hmm. part of this is a unique attribute, I think, of who I am. And so, yeah, that's something I do think about. Well, sure. I, I can imagine so. But, you know, I look at it as... Uh, you know, we use this term disability yeah. to describe to describe uh, autism spectrum, and and I certainly understand that. I, I I guess as a matter of perspective, I look at it in terms of rather than a disability, a hyperability, because mm-hmm. you have uh, yeah. Are, are there disability? You know, is there a challenge to this? Yes, but but really the main issue is I think that there there is this. Uh, there is or there are hyper abilities mm-hmm. that are there these um extreme gift extreme giftedness in certain areas, and that 's why the other areas are lacking i mean so you can look at the areas that are lacking and talk about the disability 
And I think we can easily do that and look at and it's kind of doom and gloom and this is horrible and and I I hate this for for my kid or or whatever. But I look at this and say, look, these, this is uh, a hyperability. He has these uh, amazing gifts that God has given him, and and while he's lacking in these other areas, I I cannot. I don't want to overlook these amazing gifts that he's been given. Mm-hmm. So while he struggles in these areas, yes, we're going to have to help him in those. I mean, these gifts. I, I mean, a lot of people would love to be able to do. I mean, there, yeah. there are probably um, professional musicians out there that wish that they had the rhythm and the timing that he has inherently. Mm-hmm. I mean. And when, people spend years trying to learn this stuff, and it is, he's born with it. Yeah, when you were talking about mathematics, for instance, I know when I was in first grade, I was taking accelerated math. I went over to a second grade classroom and took math over there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was the youngest at our elementary school in third grade to get put into the math Olympiad event. And one of the things that I like to do with Numbers Day, and I, I very stun a lot of people when I do this kind of thing. And I think you might have seen me even do it at a Johnson Bible College talent show one time where people tell me what day they were born on numerically and I tell them what day of the week it was. I mean, I do this so much my father-in-law pours out his watch whenever it comes out and he starts timing me just to see how long <laughs> it will take me. And if it takes me like eight or nine seconds, says, whoa, Nick, you're slacking there now, aren't you? And I've actually had times and I've been doing this I've told mothers they were wrong about the dates that their children were born. I mean, I pull out my phone, we're looking it up on Google, I'm like, yep, I was right. (laughs) (laughs) It it really takes a lot to tell a mother she's wrong on when her kid was born. But it's just one of the fun things that you do. I mean, for me, thinking in numbers comes naturally. We were driving back from Chattanooga you say I went to pick up Allie, and on the way back, we were driving down the road here, and I'm seeing all the mailboxes, and I'm looking at the numbers on the side, and thinking, hmm, wonder what that number is when it's divided by four. And just keep doing that with the mailboxes. I can buy, just go, you have to play with numbers some, because they're just so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's funny that you, that you mentioned that, because it seems, <laughs> when Timothy... You know, he'll ask you a question, then he fires off like 20 more. I, mm-hmm. I started, I tried to time him the other day to see how many questions he asked in a minute, and, and I got overwhelmed myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I couldn't keep up with it. But he'll start firing away math questions, and uh, and he knows the answers. So finally, I, I start turning it back to him. But he'll just play with the number of different ways and convert it to different things. And he'll look at something and say, well, that's uh, that's so many feet that's this many yardsticks that's this many inches and it, it, he just gets excited to throw numbers around in different ways mm-hmm. he was asking me some math problem once it, it was like a trillion you know a couple of trillion something or another minus another number and and then i gave him the answer it's learned i've learned to improve my math abilities too and but i was off in the tens place and he corrected me like man <laughs> So I was like, it's one trillion nine hundred sixty thousand. So I gave this number, and but I was wrong in the tens place, and he corrected me, and he was right. So yeah. I, I, I'm thinking of something interesting. I also do sometimes that it's really fun. Second, because words can be just as much fun 
to play with as well. We've had something in the newspaper here. It, I mean, I don't get it, but my aunt and uncle get the newspaper, and I'll bring them their mail regularly. And it's called the Celebrity Cipher, where it, it's a cryptogram where one of those things where each letter represents a different letter, and it's said by some famous person. And I'll, and I'll get their paper, and I'll just look and look at it, and usually within five minutes, I've got it all figured out, and I'll tell them what the quote was. And then hand me a paper, and I haven't written a single thing on it. I've just memorized all of it, and just started seeing everything. I can look and say, okay, an N is really an E, and F is really a T, and go on from there. I mean, once I was, when I was working at Walmart, I got back my break, and went up to see what, what register I was going to be on, and I saw that they, they had a cryptogram book out, and they saw me looking at it, and they could tell I was really thinking, and said, you're solving one of those, aren't you? said, yeah, yeah, I am. So they opened it up to a random one, and said, okay, look at this, figure it out. It took me, now this was a much longer one, no name, so it took me about eight or nine minutes or so, but I did figure it out, and did tell them what they said, and be something eight or nine minutes and I'm supposed to be on the clock and I'm getting to do this instead hey I'll take it okay <laughs> but I mean it, it it's just a fun thing to do and I started doing it without writing it in because you know I wanted it to be more and more of a challenge every single time which I'm sure is something Timothy's going to be looking for if he isn't already is more challenge than what he's getting oh yeah he's he's a man with with many questions mm-hmm. and I mean, even with theology, it's kind of interesting to to see his, I mean, he just has his mind going, and, you know, you learn the typical things in Sunday school, and, of course, sometimes I get amusing questions, like he he asked me a while back if God needs spankings, mm-hmm. and I, I told him, well, no, God is good all the time, and tried to explain that, and then he said, well, no, Dad, I, I think it's because God doesn't have a bum. <laughs> well, all right, so a very good observation. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are other times where, he, where he's, he has this whole reasoning, and so he asked me, how big was Jesus as a baby? And I said, well, he was very small, like uh, like other babies. He said, well, was you know, the same size, was Jesus the same size as Timothy when he was a baby? I said, yeah, he was probably about the same size. And he said, well, when Jesus was a baby, was he as big as I am now? He said, no, you're you're bigger now than Jesus was when he was a baby. So then he responds, so that means I'm bigger than God when he was a baby. And I was like, wait a minute. It, it, he has a big ego, I'll say that. And he keeps trying to figure out how he can be bigger than God. He's mm-hmm. trying to wrap his mind around the size of God. And then, in fact, even he was talking about heaven. Like, heaven must be bigger than God, because God is in heaven, right? Mm-hmm. So he's trying to fit God in this box. And, of course, we know there are category mistakes there and all that. But yeah. um, <laughs> so, so it's been fun to go. But, but the fact that he reasons that way, and even realized that uh, he asked if, if God, he, he just started off, does God have a body? No. Well, did Jesus have a body? Yes. But isn't Jesus God? Yes. In his human nature, he had a body. 
and his divine nature, uh, he's God, right? Mm -hmm. And so trying to explain this to him, but the fact that at, at such a young age he realizes the you know, you're getting into some of the difficult questions of the Trinity, but you know, there are a lot of adults who don't seem to worry about that. They just take that for granted. Yeah. And that that's you know, those are very good questions. Yeah. You and I would be thrilled if more and more people in the church started asking questions like that. Yes, yes, absolutely. I also do relate to what he was talking about because when you said that uh, he has a big ego set on the spectrum, I think it's very tempting to go that way a mm -hmm. lot of times. It's one reason I'm glad I've got Ari around because I know if I ever step out of line and start getting egotistical, she'll be more than happy to point it out to me. <laughs> That's right. And and she'll be very glad to make sure to let me know how much she doesn't appreciate having an egotistical man near her. <laughs> yes, the the Lord is good to give us um, opportunities for humility when we need it. Yes, and, and wives are some of his favorite instruments used to humble us. Yes. In fact, for saying that, for admitting that, we might have another opportunity after the show. Yes. <laughs> yes, we're, we're, uh, you, you call me tomorrow, you let me know how it was in my doghouse for you, and I'll let you know how it was for me, okay? <laughs> All right, that sounds good. Yes, I, I'd also like to go back to what we were talking about earlier about whether it's a bad thing or a good thing or not to be on the spectrum. Is that I've said before that a lot of people I've noticed when they've introduced me somewhere or talked about me on a blog or something like that, they've actually used the term that Nick suffers with Asperger's. And I, I really don't like seeing that term. So I say, no, no, I don't, I don't. I have this condition, yes, I'm not changing it, yes, I can even if I wanted to. But suffering with something is a choice. And I have chosen to not suffer because I've chosen to thrive. Yeah, the, the funny thing is that when you, when you said that, uh, you're talking about how you don't like it when people say that. I think the first reaction that we would have is that you would have a problem with the word Asperger's. Like, we don't want to say that, yeah. right? Because it's not politically correct to identify that, which, of course, you have no problem with that. No. Right? That it, but it's the suffering part, mm -hmm. the idea that, that you're suffering with this. And I think sometimes we get so, you know, we're so worried about what other people think and the political correctness that even to identify the obvious, again, we try to dress things up mm -hmm. and pretend like what's in front of you isn't there. And I don't know why we do it. it maybe it's also people are just trying to be caring to people on the disabled spectrum and say, look, I appreciate you want to be caring and such, but do it in truth. Because unless you really think I'm suffering, or hear me say I'm suffering, don't assume it. Because quite frankly, for me in m most cases, life is good. I mean, I've got a lot of the same struggles that a lot of other people do, but I, I, I love my life. I enjoy going to bed at night and thinking tomorrow I know some of the things that I'm going to do. I love getting to be uh, in the apologetics field, get to make an impact and getting the good compliments and things like that. I think, wow, it, it's so amazing to be out here and to be making a difference like this. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
We're about uh, halfway through the show here, so I'd like everyone to know that right now you've got my friend Paul Compton here on the line. We're talking about his role as a father and an apologist, having a son on the autism spectrum today. But if you're listening next week, we're going to back to our regular apologetics format, seeing as April Autism Awareness Month is done. My friend Cynthia Hampton is joining us. She is actually an ex-Jehovah's Witness. So we are going to be talking about Jehovah's Witnesses next Saturday on the Deeper Waters podcast. So I hope you'll be here for that. But once again, we've got Paul Compton here with us now, and we're talking about fatherhood and apologetics. Now, let's look at the, uh, the church life some. How, how is it with taking Timothy to church? Uh, well, good question. Mm-hmm. And we are... Uh, we are blessed, I must say, that uh, we, we've had a few individuals in the church, uh, I'll mention Joyce, Ashley, and Elisa, who are tremendously helpful to our family at, at home and at church. Mm-hmm. And they seem to get it. And really, I think that's all it, it, it takes. There are times it, it is difficult because we, if we want to talk with someone, it, we simply can't do it when we have the kids with us because, you know, it, Andrew, uh, our, our younger son, will stay right there with us and we don't have to worry about him running off. But if we turn our, our heads for just a moment, Timothy's disappeared and we have to go find him. And, of course, there, we're often worried about where he could end up out running down the parking lot into the road or uh, find his way into one of the classrooms so the the biggest challenge that we have at church is simply keeping up with the guy. And since we have folks there who help us, there are times when, you know, if we need to have a conversation with someone, uh, that's the biggest help that we have. Folks understand that, that we just, we need a helping hand. And of course, they've also taken that as well to be a one-on-one with him in the Sunday school class time and during the church time where they can sit with him and and just help him during the class to be able to interact and to take him out when he needs a break. And then they've learned different ways of, like, giving him a chart that explains, you know, this is what's going on. We're going to do this, and then we're going to do this. And he has a good idea of what's happening, and he can do just fine in the classroom. And all it took was, uh, you know, was one one or two folks here to take time to to realize why he was having a difficult time in the class and then they use the gifts that they have to be able to to translate things to him and make it work. You know, when you talk about him disappearing, that's uh, something that my guest Stephen Bedard said last week about one of his sons who were disappear regularly. And I said, you know, when you say that, it kind of reminds me of watching the uh, Batman cartoons that I watched when I was in high school and such where if anyone was talking to Batman, they turned away. As soon as they turned around, it would be like an open window, and he was gone entirely. He said, yes, that's exactly how it is. Yeah, and I tell you that the statistics are, are quite alarming on this in terms of folks on the spectrum are, are uh, way more likely to uh, to go missing or... Uh, or even to be kidnapped, for that matter. But uh, that, that's the whole other story. But but just going missing, they're very inclined. I think just because you know 
someone gets their mind on something and just they may not think, hey, I mm-hmm. should tell my parents. And, and so they run off with the best intentions or even to see a butterfly. <laughs> I've seen Timothy you know, early on. He saw a butterfly and he was doing the typical just running all around, uh, but no atten- paying no attention to where he was running, just looking up at the butterfly and going. And uh, so there's kind of an excitement with that, a very unique curiosity, but certainly there are dangers. Mm-hmm. And in, in fact, the police station here has him uh, on file. They have an autism registry mm-hmm. uh, with a picture of the children um, on the spectrum. You can register. And because they realized they did this due to the number of children who uh, have wandered away. They wanted to be able to know, all right, this is where they live, this is their picture, and if we find them, uh, we'll, we'll know to whom they belong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm in fact thinking that uh, when Smallville was on, that was like, my favorite show. I had every episode title in order memorized. I could tell mm-hmm. you about every single one of them. And Clark Kent would always be the exact same. And of course, having super speed, no doubt, made it much easier, but talking to someone that he hears about some event going on, some trouble or some danger, and you hear that, and you knew, yep, he's gone as soon as they turn around. And that that was always the case. And John Schneider, who played his father, John Van Ken on the show, who's actually a Christian himself, has said, raising, being a parent to Clark on the show, it, it's kind of like being a parent of a special needs child. Mm-hmm. Now, something else that we talked about last week on the show and I'm kind of wondering what you think about this that says that what churches need to do when someone with autism comes in a child especially is that you don't just work with the child you work with the whole family certainly mm-hmm. certainly there there are really two important parts I mean uh, what you just mentioned is mm-hmm. you know, one, one you want to identify um the, the needs of the child and certainly uh, encourage and minister to and instruct the, the child to help them along the way. And sometimes that means a one-on-one assistant if, if that's needed. And the other part is, is the family really does need help. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is a constant, I mean, anytime that we do something, we have charts for everything. The, if there isn't structure for Timothy, then he doesn't know what to do, and that's when he can just kind of get into trouble. He does, he's just overwhelmed with really the freedom of of what to do. He can do anything, and so his mind's thinking everything, and and that overwhelms him. So we we're constantly having to make charts and do this and do that. So anytime we can have a, a few minutes to breathe to just be able to talk with other folks because, it, again, if he's with us, uh, then we can't talk with other families. The whole time I've had folks try, I feel bad because halfway into the sentence, their first sentence, I'm usually running off trying to catch him or I'm looking around, moving my head in circles to uh, to keep up with where he is. It, I'm just that concerned about him. Mm-hmm. And, and him wandering off. So the, the church is really the, the respite that can be given to the family. It's just a little break, whether it's 10 minutes, uh, 
to after the service to allow the the family to be able to talk with other people and and the attention that is needed to be able to help the child in the classroom mm-hmm. the the biggest I, I tell you one church that that I visited that seems to do it so well that and um, i I became familiar with them through a Johnny and Friends conference, and we visited this church and and they were doing so well with the special needs and I asked them about their special needs ministry. And and really, it was kind of interesting because they, they didn't really have one. Mm. It, it, and I, I like their perspective because it wasn't so much that there was a... You know, yes, they had people trained with, with how to relate with different people, but that's kind of how they, they saw it. Uh, it. Whether you're identified special needs or whatever, you know, how can we help this family? How can we help this person? But they didn't have like this separate program which is how we often tend to think of it is like these are the people who deal with the hard ones mm-hmm. right this is the special needs ministry and they deal with those people and this is for normal people mm-hmm. and and that tends to be even with the best intentions the way that churches try to do things uh versus simply integrating everyone together and realizing how to help everyone fit in yeah whenever thing said to help out is that having someone like I've been for a few minutes is nice but if a family really wants to go out of a way to help a family like this if you can take the kids and you can babysit them one night so the husband and wife can have some alone time together have a good date night together that would mean the world to them yes yes absolutely mm-hmm. and that's again where we've been we've been blessed with uh, of course Elizabeth's uh, family is in the area and they're a tremendous help and and then the uh Ashley and Elisa these two young ladies that have have helped out a lot and and Joyce uh, I mean they've really went out of their way to to try to help us so we can whether it's go out for an appointment that we have or or just those date nights they've they've really helped out in that respect and devoted a lot of time and um we're, we're very much blessed for that, and if it wasn't for that, it it would be difficult. I mean, the effects of this. I mean, we're we're very much aware of the uh, strain that's put on on families and on marriages when you have a child with special needs, and we are on guard for that because it. There are times when it does get very challenging and. Uh, emotions get get high and it's difficult to always be on guard like that and so we want to protect our our marriage and and make sure that we do take time together mm-hmm. and be able to build each other up and encourage one another and and that's another way that fo- I mean like you said the respite time if folks in the church can offer that to a family it's uh, very beneficial to the to the family's life as a whole. Yeah, it went because uh, and it, it's not a show about marriage today. But mm-hmm. when mistake, I think a lot of couples do make in marriage. And I and I aren't at this place yet since we don't have kids yet, and I hope we can avoid it if we ever get to that point. But the mistake that a lot of parents can make is that when they start having kids, the kids become the focus point of a marriage when instead the husband and wife should still be putting each other first and then putting the kids after them. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. and I tell you, one thing that we've 
we notice is that the kids, uh, and especially in Timothy's case, he's very perceptive of things. And so if there's any uh, kind of tension going on or if we get upset, in fact, we, we when he would get really upset, we in turn would get upset, but that just it became this downward spiral. So we need our marriage to be healthy and we need to be happy and uh, and that will be reflected from our kids. And if we are stressed, if we are anxious, if we are upset, then that's only going to be mirrored from them. They maybe not consciously, but but that's what happens. Mm-hmm. So you're you're really doing yourselves a favor by making sure that that you're keeping the marriage strong. Mm-hmm. And uh, something else was discussed last week about churches, is, and I said this: it's that don't be ashamed to give a kid on the spectrum who's in the congregation same value of service. Don't be ashamed to let him do something else if he needs to keep his mind occupied. I mean, that can happen with some kids. Bring him something they can draw with or let them play with the phone a little bit, something like that. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, anything that is, if it's, uh, as long as they're not disruptive, of course, right. the, uh, you know, the phone. I've, I've, se- I've seen some people in the service with, They'll let the kids sit in the service with a phone or an iPad and is making noises while they're playing a game, and I mean that's that's yeah. uh, disruptive. But but yeah, if they want to draw, and uh, I, I know that uh, well, Tim, I think Timothy has a unique ability to even talk and listen at the same time. Mm-hmm. So he he can multitask, and if that helps to keep him calm, then absolutely. Yeah, and. That that multitasking thing, that is something common. I think I said that's week on the show that my parents could come in when I was in high school and I'd have a radio on, I'd be playing a game, and I'd have a smaller little TV in there. I'd be watching some cartoons and such on, and I could tell you what was going on and everything. It, it was it was simple for me. It's just the way the mind works. Mm-hmm. And to to most people, I think that's something totally foreign, but on the spectrum, it makes perfect sense. I mean, heck, even when Allie and I are sitting down watching a television show together, I've still got my Kindle out or my phone out or something like that, and I'm still doing stuff on at the same time, but I know what's going on. Although she is very happy that we are at the point yet, that point here that the I mean, I never read them when I brought them, but I don't bring our books on my books on dates anymore when we go out together. That, <laughs> That's good. Yeah, that 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 was starting to bother. Even though I never read them, I always liked having having what I was reading nearby. And she just said that she didn't read. I got so I said, okay, I can do that. So I I don't have those anymore. But that's just the way it is. I mean, I, if I'm stuck like at the line at the grocery store or the pharmacy or something like that. I, I want to pull out my book for a little bit or do something because I hate just standing there knowing I'm just wasting time just standing here. Yeah, yeah I know that feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anytime you're waiting in a line. Mm-hmm. But the the mind, I think the mind is constantly going through questions and trying to solve puzzles. Mm-hmm. And if it's left with nothing, then I think that's where folks on the spectrum just get frustrated 
Yeah, I think when everything I said before on here is sometimes it can be hard for me to rest at night. I think the reason is because it's rest. And you yeah. Know, y- your mind is just constantly going. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm going to sleep and I'm still asking myself questions about the historical Jesus as I'm going to sleep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sure a lot of people can relate with that, Nick. Oh, yes. Yes, I, I'm sure it's perfectly common. I mean, you wake up and after just a few moments of realizing what's going on, I got those questions again, so I could be walking to the restroom at night, and I'm just thinking about what I was thinking about, go to bed, still thinking about it, and then somehow fall asleep again, wake up, thinking about it again. So it doesn't stop. <laughs> you probably dream of the questions, too. I actually don't think I do that much. It, it, it'd be kind of nice if I did to be able to work on my questions in that way, but no, not really, but I'm just saying that that's what goes on. I, I had a counselor once who told me one of the reasons I have such a hard time with stress sometimes is because in the in my own mind that things are all worked out in their own particular order, but when something steps out of line and it, if it's something very big, it feels like an earthquake has hit, a mental earthquake, and everything has to somehow be sorted right back into place again, and that's extremely difficult. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I, I'm I'm not sure exactly. Are you just talking in terms of, like, just unanswered questions in general or just something out of sorts in the day? Something out of sorts in the day. Unanswered questions, those can be very fun, but just mainly stressing events when things don't go the way that you think they're supposed to, and especially if it's something that's really big on those lines. It, it, it's just extremely difficult to deal with. Yeah. And, and probably most folks will think, uh, well, sure, that's a stressful event and that's hard, but, I don't know, suck it up, get over it, mm-hmm. without realizing how that that's really magnified uh, and their you know, physical reactions that take place when when something major, when there's a major change, uh, it, it can really bend people out of shape that are that are on the spectrum because of those physical components. I, I think that, you know, interestingly, my my perception beforehand was that folks on on the spectrum were um, you know lacked emotions, almost apathetic. That's kind of how it's portrayed, and I, I think it's much to the contrary now that I realize yeah. that there is. Um, an abundance of emotions mm-hmm. <laughs> and and like everything is passionate you know whether for good or for bad so like on, on the positive end of things you, you know you're filled with excitement and eagerness and zeal and and joy and all this but on the other end it's uh something goes wrong i mean it, it it's really wrong if if yeah. you're if you're mad you're really mad uh, if there's a problem and it's it's just a minor problem it, it's a major problem mm-hmm. and and it's it's difficult to wrap your mind around that, but but I see that with with the little things, even the little things create this excitement that you know you would see out of me if I got a new job that was paying me five times as much in Hawaii, right? Yeah. And I would give you the response that he gets over the new color I just painted in in the living room, mm-hmm. right? So that's the reaction I got for a change of color in the living room. Uh, well, you kind of get the same thing if you know, if you changed 
the uh, the schedule for today. You know, instead of going to uh, Subway, we go to another store, right? Uh, Dunkin' Donuts, and he wasn't planning on that. Well, that small change gives this same kind of reaction on the other end. Thank Sheridan Cooper, everyone. <laughs> Seriously, when I see the show, I, I keep thinking, oh, he's got to be on the spectrum somewhere. <laughs> he's great. I love that show. Yeah. Well, I'd like to remind everyone now that we you are listening, of course, to the Deeper Waters podcast, and everything that we do here, we give this to you for free, but the work we do isn't free, and we really need your support to keep going with something like this. I mean, my friend Paul here, he's a pastor at a church, and I think he'd be able to tell you, yes, it's it's incredible how much your donations mean to an organization, and no matter how small a donation really touches us, and heck, with what Paul was saying about us getting excited over little things, you can just imagine how excited we get when we get a donation around here. It, it's reason for celebration every time. So, if you want to make us celebrate, where here's what you do. You go to our website at deeperwaters.ddns.net, and... You, when you go there, you're going to look on the left side, on the sidebar there, and there's a section that says Help Support for Work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. And there's a link there. You click that link, you're going to be taken to Risen Jesus. Now, have you gone to the right spot? Yes, yes, you have. That's the ministry of my in-laws, and they are ones that help collect funds for us. Why do they do that? It's not just because they're very nice people and they like us a lot, but it's because they want your funds, your donations, to be tax deductible. So you go there and you make a donation and you contact me or you contact Mike's wife, Debbie, and say, hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. She'll make sure you get it. And if you can set yourself up to be a monthly donor, we would be absolutely ecstatic over getting monthly donors. Now, also, I have some ebooks. You can go to Amazon.com, type in my name, and when you find books that are theological or on apologetics, yeah, I've got a hand in those. I've got a, a few out that are co-written. I've got Defining Inerrancy that I wrote with my ministry partner on the Inerrancy debate. I've got God and Natural Disasters. I actually co-wrote with an atheist of us going back and forth debating with debating if there is an adequate explanation for natural disasters or if natural disasters count as a disproof of Christianity or theism altogether. And I've got individually a book that I wrote called A Creed for the Ages, The Apostles' Creed in Today's Christian. I look at the Apostles' Creed and what it means for us today. And just recently we came out, my ministry partner and I, with a book, Groundlets, together. And this is one looking at Dan Barker and the Freedom from Religion Foundation. And it's a very sharp critique of them. So those are just some of the resources that we have available. We also have Christian Answers for Today for This Generation's Questions. That's another one we wrote together. But I'd really encourage you to please consider going and making a purchase of a book or even better, just making a donation directly to us. You have no idea how much it would mean to us. And there is a lot of work that goes into doing a podcast, writing a blog every day. And 
even things behind the scenes that aren't readily apparent, such as answering questions and such that come in constantly. And the time spent reading and studying to be able to do all this, it takes a lot of work to be an apologist. And I really would hope that if you're benefiting from the garden that's being planted here, that you really take part in planting that garden with us. Now, Paul, do you have any organization that you'd like people to uh, donate to as well? Well, hey, I, I, I tell you, uh, Johnny and Friends, uh, mm-hmm. uh, now I'm not uh, any relation with them other than simply appreciating all the work that they're doing. Uh, they're certainly a, a great organization to support. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you had mentioned before, I, I, I purchased a site a while back, tried to get something up for autismshouts.org. Uh, that isn't up and going yet, and, and hopefully... Uh, when I figure out uh, things a little more uh, as this journey every time I think I figure one part of autism out uh, then we move to a new spot so Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's part of our our struggle but yeah in terms of any support uh, of course you guys are good and uh, Johnny and Friends it's been an excellent organization and and they, they really seem to have a grasp in how they can minister to to families and individuals and uh, with special needs. Yeah, they've done a lot here in the Tennessee area. In fact, they were ones behind the very first Miss Shining Star pageant we ever had, where only girls with disabilities were mm-hmm. allowed to be in the pageant. And while I've said that I try to avoid bragging, this time I am going to brag because at the very first pageant I was very pleased to bring my wife home who happened to be the very first Miss Shining Star ever. Very nice. Oh, yeah, yes. I think I saw that you were uh, bragging on Facebook too, weren't you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes. I, I, you know, I try to avoid bragging about myself, but I'll brag about her endlessly. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, it was just so thrilling to bring her home to my parents, and we hadn't told them how it turned out, but I opened the door and said, I'd like you all to introduce, to introduce you all to Miss Shining Star 2014 here. <laughs> and, I mean, she, she didn't enter it this year because she wanted someone else to win, which mm-hmm. I think is great, I think it's fine, but she's the very first one, and honestly, she tell you, I cried more than she did that night because I was just so happy that she'd won this. Oh, that's great. Now, to get back to what you were saying, when you talk about little changes causing a lot, I, I just remember that when I was growing up, I had a bunch of these little matchbox cars and such, and I'd have them all set up on an end table when I went to bed at night, and my mother tells me, I don't remember this directly, but she tells me that I could get up, and if she had moved one of them, I would know about it. And I would not be very happy at all about it. <laughs> yeah, I could I could see that. Mm-hmm. And and I have learned along the way that when there's a certain order of things, if Timothy works with whether it's blocks or something else, I, if I find that things go much better. And, and usually it's okay if it's overnight. If he has something set up at the end of the day, then when he wakes up, he wants to see it that way. Mm-hmm. And after that, we can usually say, well, okay, we'll need to clean it up later, but but he'll just beg me to keep things overnight. And there's something about 
which maybe I, if I can make a transition here, sure. in, in terms of one of the things that I have learned with this is discipline with someone on the spectrum is almost encouraging to them, at least in our case, because Timothy discovered that uh, he this was very predictable. So he, he could do something, and if he was, again, he may be at a party and things would be a little bit overwhelming, but he knew that if he knocked over a chair, he could go in the corner, or that if uh, he did this, then he could get sent to his room. And so he learned the system very well. So discipline became uh, uh, more of a reward for him because he knew it was consistent it was clear what the the rules were, and so by doing this, he was able to have something very predictable. Mm-hmm. So, of course, once we figured this out, he figures this stuff out sooner than we do. But but once we figured this out, then then we we started changing the discipline, and of course we got we we got better results in terms of the behavior because he didn't like that. So he really likes having everything predictable, just like mm-hmm. you and your your cars and. Uh, him with his blocks, but with the discipline, that it was just very unique. Most kids don't want to be put in timeout, but he would knock over a chair, pick up the timer, set it for five minutes, hand it to me, and go sit in the corner. And mm-hmm. he was happy as a clam. Yep. And I'm like, you little booger. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, we tried all kinds of, of things for him, and mm-hmm. he would just do it, and and, uh, then he would walk over to get his punishment. Mm. Now, I'd like to ask how school goes for him. <laughs> well, he's he does very very well. The social and the behavioral, that's where the challenges are. Mm-hmm. Academically, he he excels. And I love this. I mean, from very early on, like preschool, we got notes about how he would sing Jesus Loves Me in class. And he goes Mm -hmm. to public school, by the way. So (laughs) he stands up. And, of course, they can't really do anything either, right? So he just stands up and he sings Jesus Loves Me. Then we got a note of, or he came home and he was talking about how the teacher told him he couldn't talk about God at school. And, of course, and we had a conversation with him. And uh, I like the fact, though, that where he's, Hello. with his faith and his belief and, hit, and by the way he was interrupting the class in that case with the he was interrupting his teacher not doing his work by bringing up questions about God and so we just defined those parameters for him to where he would understand he could do that uh, while talking with his peers but but those are kind of neat things. I'm glad that he is bringing what we teach him here to school, uh, what we teach him about God, and he can tell his friends about it. And he's picking up things very, very well at school. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about how he interacts socially. First off, with his fellow boys, how does he interact? It, it's a struggle. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really is. And he's made a lot of... I, He's he's trying very hard, and it and it's difficult to sit back and watch. Uh, like there was a birthday party we went to, and and I saw him, and he was kind of quoting the cues that that he had learned, and he's like, 
hi, how are you? I'm fine. And, and he was trying to talk with them and fit in with the group, and, and he just wasn't quite fitting in. And then they just ran off, and he was still standing there in the playhouse, and 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 he was trying to make that connection. So it, it's difficult for him, but mm-hmm. he is doing doing a little bit better, and he is trying, which is a change because for a while he just wasn't interested and and he does seem to be interested in in fitting in which is I guess a first step Uh, interestingly though I've seen him in terms of with the ladies Mm -hmm. uh, he seems to be doing fine (laughs) I've seen him uh, yeah even at Chick-fil-a he had uh, a gal running over there I think the, the fact that he just didn't respond like you know she comes over and she's putting her she grabs his hand and walking off and she's all smiling and and he has impressed her with his musical talents I guess and uh, she was all excited and interested and he just kind of had his game face on his poker face on mm-hmm. and so she was trying harder and harder to win his attention so uh, I've seen him pull that off a couple of times so he seems to be doing fine with the ladies yeah and and you and I are seeing back here taking notes the whole time right <laughs> that's right <laughs> That's right. Trying to figure out how that I can better pull things off for Elizabeth, you know. Yeah. He seems to know what he's doing. Yeah, I can say that uh, my mother had me put in transition after mm-hmm. I got out of kindergarten. Cause she wasn't sure I was ready for first grade yet. And we had to go to a different school for that. That was further away from where I lived. And she was a bit nervous. That first day when she came to pick me up, thinking, "How is how's he going to be doing? How how has he made it?" But she says I came out and I had I had a girl on each side of me. One was carrying my lunchbox and one was carrying my books and such. And she said, "Okay, I I think he's going to be fine here." <laughs> I remember she told me about that, mm. and so that was in my mind when uh, when I saw Timothy the other week with with the gal at Chick Fil A. Mm. Like you know, maybe maybe there's something is. Is to that he was getting more than he was getting more chicks than just the fillet, you know. Uh, so, <coughs> pardon my wordplay there. Oh, I don't mind it at all. Yes. Yeah, I, I said this was going to be an episode with puns in it, and we we've delivered now. That's right. Uh, yeah, Chick Fil A, you got all kinds of puns you can pull there, but yeah, yeah, I just. I wish I'd learned to keep some of those skills much later on in life. They, they seem to have disappeared over time. <laughs> That's quite all right. Now, how do his uh, how do his teachers interact with him? Well, I tell you, the, the kid has a whole team of people working with him, and he he has a one-on-one assistant at school, mm-hmm. and he has a number of different therapists. So he, they all, they enjoy him very much. When I think, especially when he's good, but there are the challenging days, and mm-hmm. they have learned. And I'm glad that they've noticed this at school as well, school and at home. That he figures once he figures out, he figures out the system. So if he has a system of certain rewards that encourage him, because like I said, discipline doesn't really work. It's an encouragement for him. So mm-hmm. all we have to do is really reward the good behavior. If you try to punish him for the bad behavior, it only reinforces it. As odd as that is, yeah. and a lot of people will say, well, that's kind of, you're being liberal. You don't want to punish your kid. No, don't get me wrong. I would love to punish this kid. I've mm-hmm. tried it. 
I've tried everything, every kind of punishment that you would think of that would make him sad or whatever, but he figures out it's a punishment. You know, I've taken away his, uh, he loves to earn money because he loves to count. I've taken away his money before. He was upset the first time. The next time he walked over and he handed me the money. Mm-hmm. He did the same thing again, walks over, handed me the money, and it didn't bother him. Because he knew. He knew that I was doing this to punish him, so now he's showing me that he's in charge. Mm-hmm. He wants to get that across. So so we've learned that we have to reward him for all the, the good behaviors, and then once he, but he'll catch on to that, and then he'll uh, kind of manipulate it. So again, he's a, he's a smart cookie, but his teachers do en- enjoy him, and I think they enjoy the challenge that he presents. But we're very fortunate that we've, also, we've had that, and we've also had therapy in home, uh, which <laughs> did not come easily. This is part of the, there's a, we had to go in, I, this is where I use my apologetic skills by going in to all the different meetings and, and, and really fighting because insurance wouldn't cover this, the in-home therapy that we were told that he needed. Insurance would not cover it. And, of course, the school system didn't want to because of the, the cost, but uh, it, it seemed necessary to meet the goals that, that we had for him. So I went in and, and I fought for it, and we've been able to get in-home therapy since uh, his diagnosis, and and that has been highly beneficial. So that way we kind of coordinate everything, coordinate everything between school and home to try to keep everything consistent. Mm-hmm. Now, whenever I ask about, when I ask about, because I know that this is something that my parents struggled with for a long time, and that's the diet of someone on the spectrum. Is it different for Timothy? Well, he had a very difficult time. This is another thing we noticed early on. He just wanted to eat like Cheerios and uh, I think it was Cheerios and chicken was about all that he would eat. And obviously that wasn't good, but we brought him to a special nutritionist and then we had this lady that came for a while, a very gifted young lady uh, specializing in this field and she would come over dinner time. Uh, her name was Chelsea. She was a professional therapist. She would come over and uh, sit down and, and worked with him just getting little bites and giving him little rewards. And again, you have like this whole system behind it. But now he's able to eat uh, about anything and he, he does a very good job with his diet, but it took a lot of a lot of work for that. But it was funny because once he realized that he could get a reward for doing, and he was given numbers, like you first you eat 10 bites of this and then this. And once he got that down, he would take 10 bites of broccoli, something he would give this, you could tell by his face he didn't like it, but he would just like shove it all, all 10 pieces in his mouth, he'd swallow it, and then he'd say, okay, and he knew what was next. So he was happy to happy to do it. Where my parents didn't have as easy a time <laughs> as me. On the other hand, uh, my roommate knew that when we lived together, I had several tombstone pizzas in the freezer. I'd cut them up into quarters, and I'd have a slice every evening for my dinner. Now, but what's wrong with that? Yeah. That it, it's certainly not the healthiest. And then I got married, and, and we wanted to change things some. And now I've reached a point where I can talk to my roommate. And I, I said one time, I said, I don't have pizzas in my freezer anymore. He said, wow. Because Allie did get me to change some things. And it, 
I think it kind of started when we went to a Mexican restaurant together, and she got something, and she said, you should try a sopapilla. And so I did that, and then I eventually led to a quesadilla, so we can go to Mexican restaurants together now, and that's fine. And then I started adding seafood to my diet somehow from all that. And so I, I've got things like fish sticks and shrimp and such all in the freezer now. And I, I just have so much fun when I talk to people. I say, yeah, a couple of decades with my parents and counselors and everyone else trying to do things. And then along comes Allie, and I, I don't know. I guess women just have some sort of strange power over men. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, yeah, yeah, somehow they do have a strange power. And it it really didn't take a lot of pushing or persuading on her part, and as my mother-in-law would say to me, said, no, she didn't tell you to do these kinds of things. You wanted to do the best you could for her. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. And, uh, I think of another case is just a couple of months ago. My, uh, my dad came up, came over to our house, and he saw me looking for some DVDs, and he noticed I was wearing jeans. He said, Nick, I thought you didn't like jeans. And I said, well, I didn't in the past. He said, said, what changed? I said, well, Dad, I'm a logical, rational person. And I, I have to be persuaded by the finest of arguments if I'm going to change my mind on such a good position. And I was up there and said, I told him I thought he looked really hot in jeans. <laughs> yeah, that's what that, does it, huh? That that that's the that's the peak of a good argument right there. That that was all it took. Like, yeah, I mean, things changes like that. Those are really huge on the spectrum, but uh-huh. they happen, and that's one of the great benefits of marriage. Yeah, I think when my own count, that my own counselor had said that you won't get, you said you won't get past a lot of these issues until you get married. Someday, because your focus just changes. Because on the spectrum, it's very, very easy to be self-focused. I mean, I think it's easy for all of us, but it's even more so, I suspect, on the spectrum. You get married, you realize, wait, well, yeah, I can't keep up this self-focus anymore. Yeah, yeah, you realize that uh, if X makes wife happy, mm-hmm. I want wife happy. Therefore, mm-hmm. <laughs> therefore, I'll do this. Yeah, and of course, if wife is happy. Everyone else gets to be happy then that way. So yeah, in the end, this does work out for everyone. Yeah, and it, it is incredible how how much it changes. Because one thing on the spectrum is that usually people on the spectrum understand they have a great uh, first a great focus on justice. They want things to be made right in the world. And so I've said for yeah, if if I'm on a form or something and someone says something to insult me okay yeah that's cute it's very funny it's not going to bother me someone says something to Alibo on Facebook or something like that it's very hurtful to her get out of the way it's not going to be nice it's not going to be pretty And but yes there will be blood (laughs) yes there's a lot of passion there Mm mm-hmm yeah, and you know that that goes with something you were saying earlier. But you used to think that people on the spectrum didn't really have emotions and such. And I'm kind of curious if that 
was before you met me on that, but we really do. We've got very intense emotions. Right, and I, and I think, uh, I mean, that, that's just kind of, I guess, the uh, impression that, that's given there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think maybe just because there are differences in expression yeah. of the emotion, and that's why there's the, but but that's just the perception that's out there is is more like mm-hmm. this kind of apathetic attitude which which just isn't the case and it, it doesn't really take that much uh, observation to realize otherwise. Yeah. Did did you what when you have an attitude was it before you met me or after still? Uh, really, before. Well, I, I won't say before. I think after, but I didn't really think of you. Um, I don't, I never really thought of. I, I don't know when I found out you officially had this diagnosis. I just knew you were really smart, and mm-hmm. I didn't really think much of it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't really know much about autism at that time or Asperger's mm-hmm. and, and 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 that whole discussion. So, um, but I never really pictured you in those terms because I knew how passionate you were. I knew mm-hmm. that your expressions of things were a little bit different. So, but that's one of the interesting things too. Uh, I mean, again, when I met you, I I knew that there was some. I had heard someone mention that you had Asperger's or something before, but I never heard of it. So yeah. I didn't really think about it. And you liked apologetics. We were cool. So I I just didn't worry about the diagnosis. Yeah, and, and that's kind of nice because I think folks get so overwhelmed or thrown off by the diagnosis or scared yes. of it. Yes. I I do think remember him that I was kinda of off putting to a lot of people at the college in their eyes. And that it's really not the way you intend to be a lot of times, but there's just it's kind of distrust built up and you want to know is someone really being a friend or mm-hmm. are they just being nice? Because if you're just being nice, I'm not very interested. I'm interested in the real deal. If you want to be a friend, then be a friend. And if your friends us, you're fine. Think that we are very committed friends, and we seek to help you out whenever we can. Sure. That, that's the way that that we should be. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that. I, it seems when we meet someone who's who's a little bit different. Uh, we get scared off rather yeah. than accepting the challenge to say, you know what, this you see the gifts a person has, and so why are we afraid of of, of trying to get to know them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if you remember David Wheeler from Johnson, mm-hmm. I'm sure you do. I, I took my wife to meet him a few months ago, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, it was incredible when your husband was here because in many ways I got to see him grow up in a unique way because when he came here he was shy, quiet, you know, not really saying anything and then he got into his apologetics and he was just so exuberant and and so much changed over time. And I was one of the students that gave a senior sermon to mm-hmm. the college campus during my senior year. And I, I'm I'm working with him, seeing if I can come back sometime and give a sermon as well again. But I mean that that kind of thing. I mean, he said I got to see him change, and I, I honestly, when I look back, I think I was interacting more with my professors than I was with my fellow students at all times because they were talking about the things that I'd 
whatever. I mean, you go into Dark Reese's office, you sit down, you talk about the Old Testament and such for the longest time, and that's what happens. And remembering that with Tommy Smith's class, for instance, we uh, all went to see the movie Luther one time, mm-hmm. and afterwards we were we stopped at the local Barnes and Noble because they had a cafe in there, and I said I, I want to look around first. And I went and bought a book. I remember I bought a Hugh Ross's book, Be- Beyond the Cosmos. And I came and sat down with it. And, and Professor Smith just looked at me and said, Well, geez, Nick, thanks a lot. You come, We all come in here and get uh, drinks. And you go out here and get a book and make us look dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, look, I, I have to say just from the uh, the time we met at Johnson, once you were committed to going uh, to seminary, you, you had your eyes set on that and, and realized, mm-hmm. well, I, I want to study apologetics. It, it was really neat to sit back and, and watch that, and, and I hope it's okay that I say this, because I know your parents were a little bit, they were worried, right? Yes. Uh, they were worried about, about you going off, leaving Knoxville and going off to, to Charlotte and doing it on your own, and uh, and really, I saw the, like a fire and zeal in your eyes, talking about that passion, and mm-hmm. I, I realized that okay, so these other you it's easy for you to overcome all these things because you have a mission mm-hmm. and you were going to do it and yeah. uh, I, I realized that once you had a mission you you had to fulfill it it there was really no way to stop you, mm-hmm. so it's better just to pretend like you're giving him permission and uh and let him go because otherwise he's going to break out of the house and do mm-hmm. it and yeah. and then you uh, you did well, yeah, and then you met a girl, mhm, yeah. For those who are kind of wondering what happened, just to help my parents with the transition and show them, yeah, I can handle this. I went and lived in an apartment in Knoxville on my own for about a year. And then I applied to SES and got accepted. And so I was ready to move. And they got to meet David first, I think. And they liked him. And we knew David would be right there with me, and you met David. David's a great guy, and we're still very close today. You know, I mean, if he if he's if he came driving through Tennessee, he he knows that if he didn't stop by to see us, he went way to or way back. But I I'd be having a missile launching system set out front, aiming right <laughs> for him, saying you were supposed to stop by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and yeah. Um, and then get to college and where there was that one day Gary Habermas says hey you ever heard about Mike Lacona's daughter and <laughs> then one thing leads to another before too long hey uh, Paul yeah I'm getting hitched <laughs> yeah I remember that that was exciting mm-hmm. very much yeah it, it, it's something very incredible and I mean, that that's one thing that as we're getting closer, if I was in time and that very bad, as we're getting close, it's that it, it comes back to something I said earlier about people that say we suffer on the spectrum, and I say, no, life's an adventure. Life's an incredible gift. I mean, I wake up every day and think, and I think here's the day I can do something for the kingdom. There are some battles to fight, there are some dragons to slay, there, there is so much good, and yes, I've got the same damsel in distress to rescue every day still. Mm-hmm. But life is good, and yeah, I know on the spectrum we have special challenges that we have to face, and those can be difficult sometimes. And like anyone else, many times you'd wish they weren't there. But overall, 
I could dare say I could be even be happier at my life than most neurotypicals that I meet. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I guess um, it looks like we're about to run out of time. So I want to make sure that, that I mentioned something. You were talking about your, your friend David, and, of course, we spoke about uh, our, our friendship. And it, this reminds me something that Christians need to remind themselves of, of God's sovereignty and uh, so you wonder, well, why did this happen? Well, I, I, you know, I do trust God knows what He's doing, and I appreciate the opportunity that that I have to be a, a father of of a special needs child. Uh, but I also see how God provides people, just as He's done in your life. And I, I would, I just have to mention Timothy's younger brother Andrew, uh, who's about to turn five uh, just a few days. And he has been an incredible blessing. He seems to intuitively understand that there's something kind of different, but he he just lives for his brother and loves to serve him and seems to know when he's struggling. And he's quick to give up and share something. If I give him, if I get him a special treat, you know, if I give him like a lollipop or something, then he, I mean, he stands there and demands I have one for his brother too. His, his birthday party's coming up soon, and he was asking for stuff, and he wanted something us to get something for his brother too. He's always looking out for for his bigger brother. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is an incredible, incredible gift, and I think uh, that that God just put Andrew um, in our lives to be a blessing to our family and a blessing to his brother and. I, I look forward to seeing along the ways. I, I know that God will continue to put people uh, in our lives to help out with this. So, sure, there are going to be times when families are are wondering, well, how are we going to make it? How can we do it? This is such a a, a stressful situation. But when God has a a purpose for our lives, and sure enough, we found people along the way. Andrew was a surprise to us and, and quite a, a great surprise. And then, sure enough, we've had these other folks I mentioned earlier who have popped in. And, and in fact, one of the young ladies who's interested in going into special needs uh, ministry a, a, as a career, and he or she has an opportunity to work a lot with, with Timothy. So it, it's just great to see the way that God plugs people into into our lives to encourage us and support us. You see, friendship, true friendship is really one of the greatest gifts that people can give to someone on the spectrum. I'm I'm very thankful that, I mean, for instance, Allie was away with her mother and her grandmother in Memphis and Nashville because her grandma was a big Elvis fan, and it was so great to have her back with me last night. And that, that kind of friendship... Uh, you can only have one wife, of course, but it's so great to have friends that you know you can rely on on the spectrum. That means mm-hmm. so much. Amen. Mm-hmm. Well, Paul, it, it is getting to that time. That I really do think, unfortunately, we need to start wrapping things up. But it, it's really been a fascinating discussion, and in some ways it's been a great trip down memory lane. Yes, very much. I appreciate the opportunity to to join you and talk about this. Mm-hmm. Now, 
If uh, someone is curious about you and they want to find out more about you for some strange, bizarre reason, <laughs> you, yeah, there's the sarcasm kicking in there. Do you mm-hmm. have a uh, a website, a blog, or any way that they can get in touch with you and find out more? Uh, sure. Well, there there are a couple of ways. I mean, in general, uh, RiversideChristian.com, uh, mm-hmm. since I'm one of the pastors at Riverside Christian Church, uh, to reach me, you can use uh, Paul at AutismShouts.org. Mm-hmm. Again, Paul at AutismShouts.org. And one day I'll get the site up and going. Uh, for now, I'm busy with all the shouting from the autism. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> feel free to email me with any uh, questions or comments and be glad to respond to them. Mm-hmm. And do you have uh, any uh, final words you'd like to leave today for the Deeper Waters audience? Uh, well, I just want to encourage everyone and, and go back to the words you gave me early on that this is, if you have a child on the spectrum, when you find this out, um, it's not the end of the world. And as you told me, that you, you're going to have the chance to see the world in a whole new way. And I found that to be very true. Uh, this isn't a disease, it isn't cancer. Don't get me wrong, it's tough, it's difficult. It can be stressful, but it's also a blessing, an incredible blessing to see these, uh, as I put it, hyper abilities that God has given uh, to to this child and to others out there on the spectrum. And God does know what he's doing. <laughs> he's proven that time and time again. So uh, he entrusted us to raise this child as he's entrusted the other parents out there and we need to do our best to simply translate the gospel message to our children, raise them in that, and know that God's going to do incredible things. The, the gifts that he equips us with in the church, it's not just for quote-unquote normal people, mm-hmm. but it's for all believers. And just as we've seen in, in your ministry, uh, the way that you have been able to handle the, all the stuff in the apologetics field, I mean, which I realized early on when you could take a book and just have the whole thing memorized in, in a couple of minutes. I mean, those are incredible gifts, and we don't want to overlook that because we're, we're afraid. Mm-hmm. So let us keep encouraging folks in the church, and if, if you are blessed to be a parent of someone in the spectrum, uh, just encourage you to look for those gifts and, and realize, once again, God does know what he's doing. And if you're afraid, oh, how how are we going to do this? Who's going to watch after my kid? Well, sure enough, God puts people in place. He puts them at the right time and the right people for uh, for his kingdom. Well, that is a wonderful way to end the show. And I really do want to thank you for coming on. And hopefully we'll see you back here again sometime. Hey, thank you very much, and God bless. Yeah, I'd like to remind everyone that next week we do have Cynthia Hampton coming on to talk about Jehovah's Witnesses. For now, I am Nick Peters. This is the Deeper Waters Podcast. and.